you are in our midst and that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are here. And that you are here to touch our hearts, to minister to us, to reveal Christ to us, to open up the Word of God to us. And I pray, God, that we would be strengthened. Strengthened in our hearts, in our minds, to follow you, to be the people of God that you've called us to be. Lord, thank you that there is a calling, a high calling in Christ Jesus upon every person in this room. And I pray, God, um, even as Paul wrote, that we would be worthy of the calling in which we've been called. That we would walk worthy of the calling. So, Lord, open up our hearts, open up the Word of God to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, these few weeks that we're in here, I'm just kind of taking a couple of weeks to reiterate the vision again of reaching up and reaching out, reaching up to, to God in a lifestyle of worship and, 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 uh, and prayer unto Him, and then reaching out to others with the, the transforming power and message of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is why we live and breathe and have our being. It's why we exist, and He is here, and He wants to empower us um, to not only receive from Him, but to take His message to the world. Last week, I talked about having unlimited reach. Today, I'm going to be talking about empowered to reach, if you're looking for a title for the sermon. Uh, my key passage last week was from Ephesians. Paul writes this. He says, "...to Him who is able to do abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen." Isn't that a great passage? That he can do above and beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. In Christ, we have unlimited reach to the world. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so in Christ, we have an unlimited reach into our world. And as his followers, we are commanded, as the church of the Lord Jesus, we are commissioned to advance, to move, and to build the kingdom of God on the earth. His kingdom is in, in advancement. He is on the move. Jesus said he would have a church. And I want to be a part of his church that is on move. Jesus looked at his followers when he was ascending. He said, go and make disciples. We're going to be touching in on that today. And he said, go and build the kingdom. Go and make disciples. And we talked about the way to having unlimited reach, obviously through Christ, but is to walk in humility and meekness. As John said, I must decrease, he must increase. If you want to have unlimited reach, the more we decrease, the more he increases, the more impact that we have. It's kind of anti-culture, counterculture. Usually it said to make an impact, you need to self-promote. In the kingdom of God is if you want to make an impact, you decrease and let him increase because there's more of him than you. So walking in humility and meekness. Number two is holiness. Holiness. We are commanded, we are called to walk in holiness before the Lord. Right living. But this is come, it comes in the place, it's hand in hand. Holiness comes in the place of intimacy. Because it, without intimacy, then it's just you know, willpower and I'm trying to be a better person. Well, if we understand holiness in the context of intimacy, that he walks with us and he empowers us to live a holy life, and we walk hand in hand with the God of the universe as friends, then we say, Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. 
Number three is to go. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Jesus said that. Be salt and light. We cannot do that if we're always inward focused. We have to go. We have to be among the people. And then ultimately, the, uh, the number four is the way we have unlimited reach from that passage is, and, and I talked about this, is the calling of God for every human being on planet earth. If you were wondering what the will of God for your life is, it's found in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, is to bring Him glory in whatever you do, to bring Him glory. Wherever you are at, whatever people you are around, whatever job you have, if you're a student, you are called to bring glory to Jesus. And you can do that if you're rich or poor, sick or well. You can bring glory to Jesus and he can be glorified in you and through you. So our highest goal, our highest call. And that actually helps you to stay from that frustration of, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And we bang our heads against the wall. God, what do you want me to do? And he says, if you will live a life that brings me glory, you are doing what I've called you to do. And through the process, he will give you different assignments and he will call you to do different things. But our highest goal is to bring glory to him. So this week is empowered to reach. That was unlimited reach. This is empowered to reach. God wants each of us to be empowered to reach our world. This is one of the chief purposes of being a Christ follower. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. It was a command of him to his followers. And he said, here's what I'm going to leave with you. This is as he's ascending, right before he ascends, go and make disciples of all nations. But he gives us this encouragement. I'm going to read from, from Acts chapter 1 that he's not going to just allow us to do this alone but he's going to empower us to go and make disciples. But we are commanded, and it's not stay and grow and eat, but we are to grow, but grow and go. When we come here in this place, and we call this the church, this is actually not the church. You've heard me say that before. This is a place of growth, but it's a place to grow and then go. And to be disciple makers of all nations. We're all called that. To, to that ministry and that mission. And a good question is this, that we all can take inventory of our, our own hearts. How am I making disciples? How am I a part of the disciple-making process that Jesus has called all believers to? What am I doing? Because Jesus made it very simple. He said, you know, all the commandments can be summed up. Love God, love people. Reach up. Reach out. It's both. We love him and we worship him first. And then he empowers us to reach out. We're going to go to the next slide. We're going to look at this passage. And I put it up there for you to read. You can follow along. It's in Acts chapter 1. But I want you to just grab hold of it as you see it up there. I know it's kind of a worded, you know, wordy slide. But uh, I want you to not miss the impact of what Jesus is saying. To give you a little context, this is right before um, he is ascending to the Father. He died. He was resurrected. He spent some time um, with his followers, 40 days upon the earth. And uh, a lot of your Bibles will, will say this in Acts chapter 1, but it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, he doesn't just make this command of go and make disciples, but he says, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm not going to leave you alone. In John, he, he tells his disciples, he said, it's good that I go away. Because if I go away, then the comforter will come and he will 
empower you, and we receive power from the Holy Spirit. So the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this text. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John baptized, you're talking about John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. It's interesting because he's telling them, he had told them the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them again, and then they ask him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore whose kingdom? Our kingdom. And so even after he's died, he's been resurrected, they've seen the risen Christ, you see the disciples still struggling with understanding what he's doing and what he's all about. And Jesus replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not not for you to know. In other words, don't let that be a burden. Don't let your kingdom be a burden to you. God has all those times and dates set. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. The power, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Empowered for what? Jesus makes it very clear what he's empowering the disciples and us with the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we are receive it to build his kingdom and to be his witnesses. Empowered to be his witnesses, not just power for the sake of power. Not power for the sake of drawing attention to ourselves, but power to be his witnesses, to point people to Jesus. When we have the Holy Spirit's power, it should always point people to Christ. The book of Revelation talks even about the spirit of prophecy, which is one of the spiritual gifts that God deposited through the Holy Spirit. He said the spirit of prophecy is to bring testimony to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you will receive power. I will empower you. I won't leave you alone. And that's another promise that he made to the the disciples. He said, I won't leave you alone, but I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will give you power to be my witnesses. So you have the command, go and make disciples, and here's how you're going to do it. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit sent to empower the church to be like Jesus, together on mission. It's interesting um, in, in, in correlation to this or parallels is the baptism of Jesus. Remember that story when John the Baptist baptizes him? And you see the manifestation of the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one moment there. You know, John, John at first is saying, I don't want to baptize, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, You need to baptize me to fulfill the purposes of God in me. In other words, he was our great example. And so John baptizes him. Obviously, Jesus was without sin, so it was not like a sinner's baptism. But it was a first fruits of of the model of what we were supposed to be. So John baptizes him, brings him up out of the water. So you have the son there. Then it says, a voice from heaven was the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
So what does this mean? And what does it mean to us? He's baptized in water, which we understand is new life. When we baptize a person up in this water here, and a lot of people do it in rivers and lakes and whatever, if you've been baptized in water, if you've never been baptized in water and you are a believer in Jesus and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to be baptized in water. It is a public, public profession. It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment to Jesus. And so baptism represents new birth. I am being identified with the death of Jesus and his resurrection. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So baptism, new life that is, comes from the Son. And here's what's interesting is the next part. You have the Father in heaven making a declaration over Jesus. This is before he does any ministry. His public ministry hasn't begun yet. All we know that he was a carpenter, he worked with his dad Joseph, you know, we don't really have of what happens to Joseph because later on we just have Mary in the, in, in the picture, we don't know what happens to Joseph, probably died at a young age. But you have him baptized, it represents new life, and then you have the voice of the Father, and this is important for us to get because as it happened to Jesus, so as it happens to us, new life the voice of the Father saying, before he does any ministry, before you do anything for me, this is who you are. This is my son and whom I am well pleased. And the awesome thing is that we can take from that story is that you can apply yourself. That Jesus looks at you, the Father in heaven looks at you and he said, this is my son, this is my daughter, and you I am well pleased. Because see, a lot of times we get our identity in what we do instead of who we are in Christ. That's why people frantically go about trying to do to get the approval of God. Now, we are called to do, and I'm going to get in that in a, in a moment. But before we do anything, we need to understand our identity and who we are in Christ, that God looks at you, He cherishes you, and He values you, and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, I'm well pleased with you. Jesus then later begins his ministry, but it's not before the Father declares over him, you are my son, and I'm just crazy about you. And that's how God feels about you. Don't miss that. Jesus modeled it for us. He wasn't be, again, he wasn't being baptized because he needed to get saved. You guys understand that, right? He was being the first fruit of, of the model for us baptized into new life. We come into new life through Christ and through His sacrifice. And then we need to know that the Father speaks over us. You are my child, and I'm pleased with you. And then before He goes into ministry, the Holy Spirit descends upon Him. Because we have Jesus living life in the Spirit. After the Holy Spirit comes upon Him, then He comes out of that place. And, and then, you know, in Matthew's gospel, it says that, uh, you know, we don't know how much time has elapsed, but he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he fasts, he prays, and he's tempted by the enemy. And you see even the model of Christ, of how we walk out, we give our lives to Christ. The Father declares who we are in Him. The Holy Spirit comes up upon us in power. And then we are go to go out and be about the Father's business, and the Spirit leads us. And out there you'll find temptation, you'll find the enemy battling against you. But we are not left alone because they have the Spirit upon us. 
And so Jesus modeled what the church should be about. And so upon that day, he's ascending to the Father and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will empower you to be my witnesses. But you need to know that it's not in being witnesses or doing that gives you your identity and your value in God. You are valued in God because of who you are and who he's created you to be. The love of God, it's, it's huge. It's beyond any of our comprehension. Ephesians 3, I mean, even Paul says, I pray that you would understand the height, the depth, the width, the length of God's love that surpasses knowledge. I love that. He says, I want you to understand something that you're really not going to even be able to understand. But if you can get one glimpse of the love of God, it'll transform your heart. So he sends us into the world just as he does to the disciples. He pours his Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. This is his church. This is the body of Christ. He modeled it. Now we carry it. And he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to reach out. Now let me say something. We are all full-time ministers. You are not exempt from that. And a lot of times people, we, we, we've made this classification of, as a minister who is paid, you know, and well, you're in full-time ministry. Um, well, I get paid to do a certain role that happens to be church leadership. But that's just one piece of the puzzle. You, each of you, that if you belong to Christ, you are called to full-time ministry. My role is not more important than your role. In fact, as you see this next passage, it should be a challenge and a conviction to you. And we'll go ahead and go to the next one. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It's interesting that this passage, right before um, Paul talks about this, he talks about, and I actually dealt with this a few weeks ago, about unity. He talks about unity, the importance of unity in the body of Christ. They're all fitted and formed together that we're a tapestry of different unique giftings and callings and, and creativity that God puts together and he makes this beautiful tapestry of creation to present his gospel to the world. So he talks about unity and then he comes into this, this place. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, now it was he, Christ, that appointed these to the church. Okay, so it's his, his appointment. Some translations say these are his gifts to the church. In the next passage I'm going to give you, he calls you guys the gifts to the church. So you can actually say, yes, I'm God's gift to the church. But let's look at this. Now it was he, Christ, that appointed these to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Okay, this is a distinction. This is what they call the fivefold, full-time, what people would consider maybe full-time ministry offices. Some of these are not full-time as we consider full-time. It's, it's a blessing to get paid to do what I do. I, it is an honor beyond words. But not all people that are called to these five-fold ministry offices, ministry, are not paid to do it. And so these are, these are a distinction uh, outside of spiritual giftings. These are, these are what we call the five-fold offices of, of, of the church. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Look at their responsibility. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. 
So who's called to ministry? Isn't that an interesting passage? My job is to equip. Your job is to minister. So their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And so we are working and we are building. And those fivefold ministry offices are called to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. The reason why God did this is because you are among the people. That's why, and I've heard pastors say this before, and I, and I can understand this to a, to a level. It says sometimes, you know, when you're doing what you do, it's hard because, you know, you want to be out there sometimes. You want to be around people, lost people, because we, we need the lost to remind us of why, we're, why we exist. But God calls you guys to do the work because you're out there. You have a sphere of influence that I will never, ever have. You have friends. You have people around you. You have coworkers. You have friends that, at school that you are called to touch that I'll never, ever be able to touch. And God's called you to do it. God's called you to be His witnesses, empowered you to be His witnesses among, the, among the, those people. Because it's interesting is in the Gospels, that's where we find Jesus the majority of the time is among the people, the broken, the destitute, the needy. He is in the temple sometimes, but he's out there among the people. He's close to the brokenhearted. That's why they said, you know, if you want to find Jesus, go among the lost. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, when he's separating the sheep and the goats, he said, to the least of these, when you were doing it unto them, you were doing it unto me because I was there. I am among the brokenhearted. When Jesus is in the temple and he's declaring his mission and he's quoting from Isaiah 61, he says, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted to set the captives free. And he goes on it with a list and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. This is why I'm here. And this is why he's empowered us and, to, and, and, and enabled us to go out there because he is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. Each of you are called to carry out the ministry. You're a full-time minister. A lot of healthy churches model this, where they empower the people to do the ministry. And I want to become a, I want to I I shift the trend, and I want to become a church that empowers people to do ministry. And I want to do my part to equip and be uh, to be faithful in what God has called me to do, to help us grab hold of the vision and the ministry and the mission together. But we must become a missional church. We have to be on mission with God. Be very careful saying, sometimes, you know, well, the church ought to do this or the church ought to do that. Well, we might ask you to do it. It's easy to be those armchair coaches. Have you ever been there? You know, you're watching a football game and you have the answer for the team if they just call you up and listen for five minutes. Come on, you guys know that frustration. You're Vikings fans. (laughs) 
You know, man, if they would just do that, they would take him, take that quarterback out and put somebody else. You know, and we, we just have the answers. And it's a lot of that fun frustration with football. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes we have to repent after we've done that. But it's easy to be an armchair coach, to sit there and, and, and have the answers. But when you're, if you're not in the game, you really don't understand. If you're not out on the field, you really don't understand. It's like getting the game plan and then not going out on the field. It's like the coach drawing up and they have the game plan and then they go, well, we're, we're not going to show you this. We're just going to let you kind of figure it out on your own. So be careful when we say we ought to do this or ought to do that because God may be calling you to do that very thing. And we have to get away from being inner-focused and become more about the Father's business out there. Yes, we are called to be equipped, but to grow and then go. Let's look at the next passage. 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9. I love this passage. So let's just, I'm, I'm going to turn there. Well, I guess I can just read it. He says, I always thank my God for you. This is, this is Paul. This is the beginning, his first letter to the Corinthian church. But listen to what he's saying. To this. He says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. You have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for his return. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And listen to this. This is the privilege of the church. He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been invited into partnership with Jesus in His ministry and His mission upon the earth. What a powerful privilege. And so Paul starts saying he's thanking God for the gifts of the church. And so you are a gift to the church. And he's enriched the church in every way with words and knowledge, is what he's saying. And then verse 7, he has, you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 8, he will keep you strong until he returns. And then he's invited us, verse 9, into partnership with his son. What he's saying is you have what you need to get the job done. If the job isn't getting done, you need to relook at what you're doing, is basically what Paul is saying here, because he says you have all that you need to get the job done. Interestingly enough, the following verses, he warns on divisions in the church. So I think that if you tie that, he's saying you have everything you need to get the job done, so we can look this over and say, well, if we're not getting the job done, we need to pay attention, maybe if there's division. Because division and strife and dissension will keep us from being all that God has called us to be. Everyone is vital to the vision and the mission of Jesus. I brought up that a lot of people were wondering why I brought this little toolbox. If you can't see it, there's a little red toolbox up here. My trusty little toolbox. Actually, it's not mine. It's the church's. 
I know some of you real workers, you guys, uh, you laugh inside. That's not even a real toolbox. Um, I understand that. Some of you guys have tool chests. Some of you guys have tool rooms. I, have, I know nothing about that. But I realized some time ago that I inherited my dad's um, lack thereof of like projects that turn into massive projects. I remember my dad saying, you know what, if I say that this should only take an hour, I need to plan for like three days. I got that from my dad. It was a generational curse that was just passed right along to me. And you get into something, oh my word, I've had time after, I can't even, I could write a book. And it would be humorous, and you would laugh at my pain. And it's funny now, but it's not funny during the, t- the time you're going through it, believe me. But here's how it usually starts. I'll have a little job that I can do. I'm, I'm very limited, by the way. Um, I can do a few little things. But here's what I always do. It never fails. I, I think recently I've kind of gotten a little bit smarter, but not a whole lot. I'll have a job I need to do, and uh, I'll go downstairs to my toolbox. And I will grab out the few little tools that I think I need. And you guys know the story. You get up, you know, you go to your projects out, outside. That's the worst part is if it's like more than a few feet away from your toolbox. You walk upstairs, outside, you're out in the yard, you're doing it, and then you realize, oh, I might need this tool. So then, you know, logic says, go get the toolbox. But what do you do? You go back and you grab that one little tool that you thought you might need. You get back out there, and it's, and it's not what you need. Or how about wrenches, the size of, you know those little, the socket wrenches? I know normal people take the whole thing out there. Not this guy. I think it's about a half inch. That looks about, let me go up there. Oh, it's three-eighths. Let me go, and I keep doing that over and over and over. Thanks for laughing at my pain. <laughs> but I'm notorious for it. Ask my wife. I am notorious for it. And then I get angry. And who's to get angry at? I mean, am I angry at the toolbox for not following me up? You know, I mean. <laughs> and you just frustration sets in, and then, you know, then you're like, well, I should have done this the first time, and you go grab the toolbox. This is such a spiritual truth to me. So if nothing else, I'm gleaning spiritual things out of my misery. Don't just grab a few tools. Take the whole box. You're going to need most of it, if not all of it, especially if it's like my toolbox. I know you guys that have all those. My toolbox, I mean, I have a very few tools, so I'm going to probably use every single one of them. And a lot of times we treat the, the church like that is, is we feel like, well, this is really important or this is what I need and it might go to something else, but take the whole box. You need everything that's in there. Everything's vital to the job. You are a vital part of the mission of Jesus Christ. Or have you ever done this where you have the wrong tool up there and you're going to still try to fix it with the wrong tool. And then your knife becomes a screwdriver and you break the tip of the blade. 
do I have a witness? I've, I've lived it. You know, and you pop one of your good knives, and you, I should have gotten a flathead screwdriver like a normal human being. And we try to do, and, and it's like if I just had the right tool. Well, you know, the flathead screwdriver was meant to do that. And see, this is a place in the body of Christ where, and, and, and this is the, the, the old adage that says that 80% of the people do 20% of the work in the church. No, I got that back. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the work never gets done. And so this is, this is that story in the church. Somebody's called to do this, and maybe that's not even their calling, their gifting, but because there's a need here, we're trying to use them as a flathead screwdriver. And they're not a flathead screwdriver in the body of Christ. And they're trying to do something that they're not called to do, and they're like, you know, I don't even really connect here, and, but it's a need, and I guess I'll fill it. We need the whole toolbox. We need everyone. We don't need 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Number one, that burns out your 20% that are doing everything. And then where they're really passionate kind of almost gets neglected because they're trying to cover other areas too. We need you. We need you. Desperately, we need you. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity. Um, when we were first married, I, I worked at uh, Dr. Scholl's. Yes, the foot care people, little plug. And I got to work on a couple of assembly lines. And as I look back on those days, there's a lot of spiritual truths there too. Um, for a while, I worked on the Dr. Scholl's foot powder line. Have you ever had Dr. Scholl's foot powder? It's good stuff. Um, and they put me in there, and there's all these jobs in this assembly line. You know, there, there, there's the area, you know, the machine operators that put the, the bottle together, you know, and, and, it, and it, you know, it goes through the area where it puts the logo on, and then it feeds, you know, into one area where the powder comes in. And there's all these people on the line, and all the way to the end where, you know, it shrink wraps, and then, you know, you stuff it into the box. That was my job for a while. I was stuffing the boxes. And this assembly line, everybody's, everybody is important. It's not just the machine operators that are the most important. Because if, if you don't have other people down the line doing their, their job, work gets interrupted. You can't just say, well, let's pull this guy off the line and uh, we'll see how it goes. No, you're going to have a shutdown. Because every single spot on that line is valid and important to the mission of getting foot powder out the door. If one person's missing the line gets shut down. If somebody gets a call, if one of the machine operators gets a call or somebody, they shut the whole thing down. Imagine, and there was about, I, I, you know, if I was guessing, about 12 people that were on that line. Can you imagine four people trying to run that line? It would never work. You may, they, might, they might maintain for a, a, a certain level of time, but at, at some point, it's going to just back up and build up, and you're, and you're, you're going to be on shutdown mode. Folks, the, the church of the Lord Jesus, and it, I know it, the, the terminology is a little raw and, and weird, but organic, but we're like an assembly line. But every place is important. 
every spot on the line is important to get the mission done and to complete the project of who sent us and, and complete the work of the one who sent us. And I've shared this before, but it's, you know, when Paul gives the analogy of, of, of us being the body of Christ, the physical body, and he talks about, you know, he deals with spiritual pride where, you know, one part of the body says, well, we don't need the other part of the body because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know my part's the most special. I'm, you know, I'm a nose in the body of Christ, and the nose is the most important. But he said, well, you know, if the whole body were a nose, what would, what would that be? You'd just be a big, gigantic nose. And you'd smell really good, but you would go nowhere and you would do nothing else. You couldn't hear, see. And then he deals with kind of that self-pity angle of, well, I'm only, I'm only like a little toe in the body and that's really not even that important. And he says, do not despise even those hidden parts that we think maybe are not that important. Every part is important. And so you don't have just parts of your body that, you know, well, I can live without that. Until your body goes through an injury or surgery or some sort, you know, and I broke my left wrist four times in my life. I was very accident prone as a child. And the, the, the last time I did it, I had to have surgery, and it was really in bad shape, you know, and this thing was in, it was in a cast for six weeks. Well, I tell you, although my dominant hand is my right hand, you realize how much you need your left hand and left arm when it's in a cast and it's not able to work. You don't just cast aside, well, I don't really need it anyway. It's okay if it's in a cast. No, you need every part of the body. From the head to the toes and everywhere in between. Parts of the body that aren't working, it's paralysis. It's, if, it's, if it's not working, you know, the body can't function properly. We need every part of the body working each of us were created to reach and be a part of the reach of Jesus into the lives of others. We were also each created with unique gifts to creatively reach. Callings. Ministries. And I love verse 8 in that passage. He says he gives us strength and empowers us. He said the Lord will give you strength. And it's, that is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to get the job done. Let me ask you this. How has God made you? What gifts has he given you to accomplish his mission? What is your part in reaching out to people with the life-transforming message of Jesus? What, again, the question that I asked at the front, what is your part in the disciple-making process? Because certain gifts he's given me, he's not given you, but he's given you gifts that he's not given me, and that's why we need each other. That's also how we can have grace for one another. Is to say that you're important, just like I'm important. We're all important to his work. And because you might see something in a different angle that I see, don't get frustrated at me that I don't see it. God's given you that angle and that lens for you to speak into it and to be a part of it. That's why we need one another. We have to realize that we were all, all of us were created to be on mission with him. I love when Jesus, you know the story when he's feeding the 5,000 plus? And in that story, 
um, you, you know, the, the need is huge, and they had this little boy's lunch, and, and here's what the disciples, their solution is, they, they see the need, and they go, oh, this is unreal, the, the need that's out there. And they even say this, we need to send these people home because we don't have enough food to feed them. And it's really easy for us to look out at all the needs and get very overwhelmed. But Jesus' response is, you feed them. And I think he was just setting those guys up. You feed them. And so they logically begin to, all right, you know, logistically this is impossible. I mean, it would take months to plan this, number one. I mean, we, we don't have any, we have a little boy's lunch, which is a ridiculous drop in the bucket to all the people that need to be fed. We would need months to plan, and Jesus, you're telling us to feed them? And Jesus is setting up, and it's more than just a miracle. But what he's saying to the disciples is, what I'm asking you boys to do is just to make yourself available to me. What do we have that's available? And this little boy, they bring his lunch and they said, you know, there's a you know, few loaves, a couple fish, you know, it's not much. And Jesus says, that's great. You just make available what you have and watch me work with what you have because through the power of the Spirit, I can take the little that you have and I can make meals for everybody. In fact, so much that there'll be more left over and you'll have more after the whole thing than you did before you even started. Because I am able to do above and beyond, exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think if you'll just simply make yourself available to me. And so it's really easy for us to kind of get crippled and kind of analyze it and go, you know, I don't really know what he wants me to do. I'm just kind of, you know, floundering a bit and, 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 and Jesus is saying, all right, you see the need, I want you to feed them. And then our first response is to go, well, we don't have enough. Exactly. Well, you just bring me what you have in yourself. Yes, in yourself, you don't have much, but you watch what I can multiply and do through you. If you'll allow my spirit to work in and through you, I can do amazing things. And so he blesses it and he breaks it, and we know the miracle. He feeds all these people. Well, interestingly enough, he partners with the disciples in the miracle. They had to be the one to distribute the food. Remember, they sat them in groups, and so the disciples begin to distribute. Can you imagine the, that, that first couple, you know, the disciples are going, oh my goodness, uh, you know, we're telling the people to sit down, they're expecting a meal. You know, nobody has driven up a, a bus with, with, with meals in it. I don't know what we're going to do. Jesus just says, God, thank you for the, breaks it, and he begins to put it, and they go, okay, I'll feed this group, man. Um, you guys enjoy, um, you know, for you guys, I don't know if, and then they go back, and, they're, and, they're, and there's more, and there's more. He just said, you be available to me. You just go, and the disciples had to go. They had to take what Jesus provided, and they had to go. They had to go into the crowds. They had to go amongst the people and minister, and so you see a beautiful picture of the commission of Jesus in this miracle where he broke the bread, he gave thanks to the Father for it, and he said, in and through you, I'm going to have you reach out and I'm going to have you touch people all over the place, and we're going to feed everyone here. But I'm going to need you guys to partner with me in this and just make yourself available. If you just go, there will always be enough if you make yourself available to me. And he's empowered us to distribute his message through word and deed. 
So we have to transform our thinking that we're all ministers. You know, we have missionaries that we send from this place, and, you know, we would be considered what they call a sending church. Have you ever heard that phrase? Are you a sending church? And yes, we are a sending church. But let me turn that, and it's real, it's real great to say, yeah, we are a sending church, but are we a church that is sent? Because we are sending, but we are also sent by him. We don't just send missionaries. You're sent every day into the mission field. Each and every day you're in full-time ministry. You are on mission with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to go out and be his ministers to a lost and dying world. So we're not just a sending church, we are a sent church. Listen to what Jesus says, John 20 and 21. He says this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. To the disciples, he said that. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so we have the ministry of Christ, just as the Father sent him, he's sending us. Let me say, in this room are endless possibilities for ministry. Look at what he says. He says, you have all that you need. You have every spiritual gift that you need as you wait for the return of Christ. In this room, we have all that we need to get the job done. There's endless possibilities for ministry sitting in these pews. Unlimited reaching capabilities through the power of the Holy Spirit. Creative ideas sitting in the hearts and the minds of each and every single one of us to accomplish the work of Christ. What has God deposited in you? What have you gone through that you can minister to others? You know, where, where, where sometimes we go through hardships and God redeems that to make us ministers of redemption to people that are going through what we went through. The beautiful part of the redemption of God. But what has he deposited in you? What has he brought you through? that he can use for his kingdom? What gifts has he given you to advance his mission? Is it mentoring someone? Coming alongside someone and mentoring them? Are you really into sports? Can you mentor someone in sports or do a, mission, uh, a ministry with a sports-related thing to not just do the sport, but do the sport in the name of Christ? Ladies sewing, scrapbooking for Jesus? see that scrapbooking for Jesus that you can do it in the name of Christ where you could mentor someone to bring them along I've heard there's some ladies that, that you know that maybe want to learn how to can stuff canning for Christ it's for real I mean God has given you gifts that you can use for the building of his kingdom what about acts of service that is mentioned, those practical gifts in the Bible? Acts of service where you can serve someone in a practical way. We're coming up with Summer Serve, and there's going to be a three-day mission for Jesus that we're going to be helping. But outside of Summer Serve and just that little block of time, has God gifted you with something that you could serve someone, acts of service on an ongoing ministry? What about encouragement? Romans 12 talks about that that is one of the practical gifts. If you have a gift of encouragement, do it. Could you encourage somebody? Write notes of encouragement. Start a ministry of encouragement. That out of your heart, out of your home, is I have a ministry of encouragement. 
to write notes, to give someone a call. We have ministries here, Awana. You know, we have this thing, being an Awana leader, listener. Do you have ears to hear where you could be, you qualify to be an Awana listener, Sunday school worker, children worker, youth worker? How about making meals for someone that is in need? And sometimes we have these, I know we have these events that we do, like some of our ladies got together and made meals, but I'm saying you can also do it on an ongoing basis. We're potentially, what we'd love to do is to to get a handful of people that would make meals for kids for Awana before Awana starts. You'd be surprised how many kids in our community, they don't have healthy meals every day. There are great needs around us, folks, just because we don't live in a large city and we see, you know, people living in cardboard boxes or under overpasses. There are great needs in our community that we can meet and reach in the name of Jesus. What about a kindness team? I'd love to see a kindness team, you know, just doing random acts of kindness in the name of Jesus, that people get together and they begin to dream together and they start a, a, a kindness ministry for our community in the name of Christ. What about a visitation team? That you can go and, and visit someone that's shut in and pray for them and encourage them and come alongside them. And all I'm saying is that there's opportunities to be in ministry and we're going to make some of those opportunities Um, available for each of us. So stay tuned. There's going to be things in the next few weeks that you can sign up, that you can dream, and that you can become a part of. And if God has deposited other ideas, share them with me. Let's talk. But God has given us what we need to get His mission accomplished. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach out with the love and the message of Jesus. We need to understand and get this transformational mindset that we are all called to full-time ministry. And we are a part of that in John chapter 20 when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. We are not just a sending church. We are a church and we are a people that is sent. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 9. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Who does he say? We must do the work of him who sent me. So we are co-laboring with Christ. We are in partnership with the Son of God. He says, night is coming when no one can work. In other words, we need to to get busy and we need to be about the Father's kingdom. Again, our identity is not in the doing. Our identity is in who we are in Christ. I hope you got that at the beginning there. When Jesus was baptized and before he did any ministry, the Father said, this is my Son, whom I'm well-pleased. You need to know that you're well-pleased and you're, uh, that God is well-pleased with you and he loves you as a son and his daughter, but he has called us to work. And he says, while it's still day, we must do the work of the one who sent me. Because night is coming when no one can work. And then he says this, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We have the light of the world within our hearts. We are sent to a darkened, lost, broken, and needy world. And we have the answer. His name is Jesus. And he has called us to redeem the time. He has called us to be ministers. And he has called us to reach out. And he's not going to let us do it alone, but he's going to empower us with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses on the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would make the most of every opportunity that's been given us. God, that we would have the revelation that we are called into ministry. That you have 
placed your hand upon each one of us here. That in this room, we have all that we need to get the job done. Lord, I pray that we would make ourselves available to you each and every day. Pray that we would walk with you, God, that we would look for those opportunities in which you've called us. We're going to close our time together uh, this morning with communion. And uh, we, we do this once a month, but uh, again, this is more than just a religious ritual or tradition that we do. We um, are commanded through Scripture to, this is one of the sacraments that we adhere to, one being baptism, and the other is, the, is communion or the Lord's Supper, because Jesus told us to do this. He said, do it until I return. Because we do it to remember His sacrifice, to to thank Him, to remember. It's, a, it's somewhat of a memorial service to His sacrifice and saying, Jesus, we, we, we are undone with Your sacrifice and we can't do it without You and we desperately need You. So I'm going to just pray and I'm going to talk through the elements and uh, again, you can take this on your own. I'm, I'm going to pray for the elements and um, there won't be a formal dismissal. Again, um, we'll have the lights down, we'll have some worship music going. Um, and this side, if you will take the elements over here, this side, you can go over here and receive the elements. Um, we have an open communion here at Community Bible Church. You don't have to be a member of our church to receive communion. What we do ask, and Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 11, is that you should never take communion in a, in a guilty way. In other words, you need to have Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And that if you've committed your life to him, then that is the, uh, that, that, that is the folks for who communion is for. And also, he says, to search your heart. And so, before you take communion, I encourage everyone to search your heart and uh, to get things right with God. And if there's something that you need to get right with God, this is the time to do it. So, let's pray. And uh, again, after you take the uh, elements, you can do that on your own. We won't take it corporately, but as you, you can take it on your own, and then you're free to be dismissed. I, I, I pray that you have a great week this week, and um, and, and just that you, your life is blessed abundantly and to go out and be his ministers. Jesus, thank you for your amazing sacrifice. Lord, this is the reason, God, as we look at the cross, that, that, that Lord, no other event in history is as powerful as that moment of you laying your life down freely for us. That, Lord, through the sacrifice of Jesus, you are acquainted with our suffering. If you're here today and you're lonely, Jesus understands what it means to be lonely. If you're brokenhearted, he understands what it means to be brokenhearted. If you've been forsaken, Jesus understands you and he understands what it means to be forsaken. If you've been abused, he understands that. He was beaten he was mocked. He was ridiculed. And so in all ways, he understands the pain and the suffering that we go through. He identified himself with us through his sacrifice. And Lord, today we remember your sacrifice. And I pray, God, that you would search our heart, that we would, that we would be right before you. That, Lord, you would see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Because, Lord, it was, the sacrifice was out of great love. 
If you're wondering today if God does love you, does he really love me? All you have to do is look at the cross of Christ and his, the payment that he made for you, the scourging that he took, that he was beaten beyond recognition, really, physically. And it was more than just taking our sins upon himself because it says that he, he demonstrated his love by doing that. So if you're wondering about the love of God, think about the cross today. That's how much he loves you. That's how valuable you are to him. So Lord, as we receive this communion today, I pray, God, that we would receive it in joy and thanksgiving, remembering your sacrifice until you return. The Apostle Paul says, he said, I, I, I give to you what was given to me, that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body, broken for you, broken for the sins of the world. And they took it and they ate it. He says, as long as you eat it, remember me. Then after the supper was over, he took the cup of wine and he said, this is, this is my blood shed for you. Every drop of blood that was shed was for you. And a demonstration of his love. Whenever you drink it, remember my sacrifice. Remember the shed blood. Remember how much I love you. So, Lord, we do, as we receive communion today, Lord, we remember your sacrifice, and we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So you can receive as you so feel led. We'll have the lights down. And, uh, and then you're free to go whenever you need to go. You can hang out in here in the presence of the Lord if you would like. And uh,